Good morning. This is from Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, settled forever. Jerusalem mountains around it, and the Lord is around his people, now and forevermore. For the rod of wickedness will not rust upon the portion of the righteous, so that the righteous not set their hands to wrongdoing. Do good, O Lord, to the good, and to the upright in their hearts. And to those who bend to crookedness, may the Lord take them off with the wrongdoers. Peace upon Israel. Thanks, Shirley. So it's good to be back with you all after spending much of my last week surrounded by mountains. Um, I know you may be wondering. Uh, Chris chuckles because he knows that I've gone full Florida man with that description. Um, I don't consider Mount Dora, Florida, with its majestic 184-foot elevation above sea level, a mountain. This past week, we were we were hemmed in behind and before by mountains like Big Thunder Mountain and Space Mountain at none other than the happiest place on earth. <laughs> we had a really good time there. And I couldn't turn off my like theology brain long enough not to notice some of the animating stories that were happening, especially as I'm meditating on the psalm of being surrounded by God, like the mountains, like Mount Zion, right? The, uh, to be surrounded by Disney's quote-unquote mountains is to be kind of ensconced in this world. And it's a world that is between frontier land and tomorrow land, right? It's between, no, seriously, stay, stay with me here. It's between like adventure and pioneering towards an unknown wild west. It's prospecting and gold panning. And then this like unknown future of space exploration and like galactical dominion over here, right? And you can just walk between the two, it's amazing. Or take, or take the Skyliner, right? Um, one of Disney's greatest strengths, though, is their ability to, to set a scene and to make a place, and partially that's to distract you from multi-hour line waits, you know? Um, but you're, as you're waiting there, you're, you're constantly seeing maps, whether it's the, the map that my kids are constantly pushing in my face to get us to the next line, or the maps on the walls that are maps of galaxies that we'd wormhole through in Buzz Lightyear, or maps of the mines that you extract gems with the seven dwarves. There's always work to do at this place. Like there's jobs given to you on the Millennium Falcon. You can be a, a pilot or a gunner or an engineer, right? There's, there's like the terms of service and the names of your supervisors on the Jungle Cruise and a tacit agreement that all the mine workers uh, were individual contractors responsible for buying their own supplies and working at their own risk. Like who knew that Amazon workers would get unionized before Disney mine workers, right? To be surrounded by Disney's mountains, though, is certainly to be oriented towards a particular vision, 
in this world. It's a vision of the past, it's a vision of the future, and it's actually a vision of both of those at the same time. There's like an inherent excitement about what the world holds, what might be, where we might go, what we might discover, and maybe in all of that excitement, there's even like an inherent anxiety in this mythical space. There's like a, like a tired striving, and the, all, all the dads had the shirts that was like most expensive weekend ever in Disney font. So not just that like very explicit anxiety, but like a, a more subtle anxiety, like baked into this mecca of Americana. Like it was a, 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 an anxiety of, of striving. It was, it was uh, a re-narrating of place and time that never really existed and forecasting towards a future that may never exist. Even as there is so much wonder in that place, there's also kind of an arrogance cooked into it that we're the ones that create. We're the ones who bring life. We're the ones who do good. We only visit this space and then we exit through the gift shop, but to live between Adventureland and Tomorrowland is really to live in a familiar fantasy that is thrilling, but it's not at all sustainable. It, trust me, it's not sustainable. <laughs> so we hear our Lenten psalm that Shirley read from Robert Alter's translation. In Psalm 125, it's an ascent uh, going up to Jerusalem that will reach its fever pitch next week as we celebrate and reenact Palm Sunday. Jesus going up. Luke's gospel says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and there's this, this drastic movement in the whole gospel. And so we reenact Jesus' triumphal, again, quote-unquote. Uh, next week is, like, I think it's the most ironic Sunday in the whole church year, that, that Jesus going into Jerusalem is, is a triumph because we know the rest of the story. The psalmist, though, of, of this psalm leads the chorus. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, never shaken, settled forever. Jerusalem, mountains around it, and the Lord is around his people now and forevermore. There is certainly triumph in these words. Just as the mountains are solid, so are those who put their trust in the Lord. Even as your knees wobble and your back aches from the climb, rest in confidence in God. This is kind of what um, preeminent Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann talks about when he helpfully categorizes this as a psalm of orientation. It is a psalm of setting our sights on something. A song like this is, he says, an affirmation of God's faithfulness and goodness that are experienced as generosity, continuity, and regularity. Life is experienced as a protected space. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> this kind of safe space is so needed outside of the fantastical confines of the magic kingdom. We, we need this kind of space um, in our liminal world and this time um, in, this, in our real-world journey. When nothing else seems solid, when we don't feel very solid ourselves, we need to remember and we need to be remembered, put back together by God's faithfulness. 
by God's goodness. We need God to be rock solid, protective, durable. Brueggemann notes that the function of this kind of psalm is theological. It's about praising God and thanking God, but it also a psalm like this has a social function of importance. He says it's to articulate and maintain a sacred canopy under which the community of faith can live out its life with freedom from anxiety. A sacred canopy under which we can live out our communal life together without anxiety because we know that God can be trusted. This is a sacred canopy produced in God's people. It produces a corporate confidence in God despite all of the evidence to the contrary. Like the, the setting of the, the writing of this song was most likely in a time where Jerusalem was being occupied, like dominated by an oppressive foreign power, probably Babylon. So this is their Alleluia Anyhow song. It's not dismissive, it's not reductive, it's not um, escapist of the pain and uncertainty that they're experiencing, but it is defiant, it's stubborn, it's steadfast. I, lo- I love that line that Chris sang, the Sandra steadfast song. The, I will not trust in the strength of kings. On your promise I will stand. I will shout for joy. I will raise my voice. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I've mentioned to Sandra before, and she agreed. This has big, like, Tom Petty won't back down energy to it. Like, th- this, <laughs> this is not a sweet line. This is a thumb-in-the-eye line, um, and, and so is this psalm. Jerusalem, their capital, more symbolic, and it's more significant in the geopolitical and like the geotheological imagination of the Jews than even like Ukraine's Kiev is, has been made captive. It's been laid waste by Babylonian invaders who are neither willing nor able to treat this place as God's home. But Jerusalem, even in this sad state, still stands. And so does God's care, so does God's comfort for God's still standing people. Even though they're scattered, they are still standing. Even when often unrecognizable, even in the midst of the rubble, even when they are no longer in charge, God's presence abides among God's people. I love in the Robert Alter translation, which rather than just like reinforcing um, like God's rock solid unshakability, like if we're not careful, some of our translations, which are right, they, they make us think more of like a Ford truck commercial. But, <laughs> but um, did I get that right? Or is that Chevy? I'm sorry. It's been a while. The Super Bowl's months ago. <laughs> but in Alter's translation, it reminds of Jerusalem's connection to God and God's people. This, this rock formation is settled. It's resting in place. God's people continue also to settle here, to settle down. Not as prospectors, not as pilgrims, not as colonialists, not as pioneers, but as travelers in search of rest. Those who trust in God will move among uncertainty and even the threat of those who would do away with their worship and their way of life. But God is making a way out of no way. God is making a home. 
and surrounding them with protection and peace, even in a home away from home. So friends, maybe that's the message today. Maybe that's what we need to hear, that, that rest in God, that rest with God is possible, that God offers us rest here and now. Lay down your burdens, your fears, your fatigue. Let God minister to you today. That's part of what keeping this Sabbath rest is about. Don't do rest in God. Some of the ways that this happens for climbers, and I'm not claiming to be a a climber. All of my carabiners have do not climb notices on them. They're not real. (laughs) But some of the ways this kind of rest happens for climbers, even as they're still on the way, is that they clip in together. They, they connect their lines to the mountain and to each other, so even if they slip, they are held, and they can't fail or fall. They don't need to continually worry that they're going to fall off the face of the mountain or that they're going to fall outside of the group. They're, they're linked into each other. A while back, a friend at Oak who has experienced a particular deep and dark season of mental unhealth commented that uh, they said, I need other people to pray for me because I don't know how to pray for myself. And and that that sentiment was was linking in, was clipping in to the group, was being bolstered and buoyed and connected to this solid mountain. This is one way that God surrounds us. God surrounds us in the prayers of God's people, in the prayers of the saints. God bubble wraps us in a singing community of those who, to varying degrees and with varying success, trust in God. Sometimes we need this kind of buffer, this kind of insulation, so as not to be shaken even when our world feels like a snow globe, right? That's, that, that's how we, we, we link together and we are, we are buoyed on the prayers of the saints. It's always a challenging and fruitful exercise also to put these words on Jesus' lips um, because they so often were. Jesus was the type of person who was weaned on the words of the Psalms. When pressed and pierced, they almost always just flowed out of him. Um, take, uh, this is particularly true, take, take the cross, for example. The stone the builders rejected, Psalm 118. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Psalm 22. I thirst, some version of Psalm uh, 63. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Psalm 31, and on and on and on. Jesus has these words in his bones. When you consider what it might mean for Jesus to evidence an unshakable trusting, surrounded faith in God, think about what it looked like in his life in the Gospels. The ways that unshakability for him served not as just like a a lockdown protective fort, but as a platform for his permeable life with the most vulnerable. Because Jesus had this unshakable relationship with God from before the beginning of the earth He could have an open life to be with people. Even the privileged and the proud who didn't know how vulnerable their life actually was. So God's rock-solid, steadfast,
steadfastness for and with Jesus didn't preclude suffering. It actually, it actually pushed Jesus further and deeper, more close into the world's suffering. That's, so beware. <laughs> if, if you hope for a rock-solid, unshakable faith in God, it is going to put you on shaky ground um, because you are protected in that. This is the story of Jesus' ascent to Jerusalem and Calvary's cross. And that cross, the whole point of it that we'll celebrate in a weird way in a couple weeks or um, on Good Friday, the whole point of the cross, it was formulated exactly as a sort of shaming tool that would break down any sort of confidence or hope outside of the city of Jerusalem's gates. Now it becomes the Christian's source and site of confidence. So much so that St. Paul can say, not a big fan of boasting, St. Paul, but he says, as for me, God forbid I boast in anything except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. That Paul has linked with the crucified Jesus in this, in this cross-shaped ascent with God. This throws things pretty off kilter for us. It calls us to mobilize God's surrounding stability for others when they are unsafe or unstable. This is also how God surrounds us, with the bodies and with the lives of saints. That's how God surrounds us, with, with the bodies and lives of saints. There are too many stories to go into about this. In some sense, this may be like the defining characteristic of what a saint is, is someone who puts their body on the line for others in the name of God. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Put his body on the line for others, even sinners, in the name of God. Not just his words. Certainly Jesus had words for us too. Not just Jesus' prayers and praise God. These are also for us. Not just his resources. Do we have anything in this world that we haven't been given by God? But Jesus' very body. In a moment, we'll remember and we'll participate in the taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. We'll receive of that very body and blood shed for us. We do that every week. We try to make that a habit, that receiving of Jesus' body for us. So... The example that comes to mind of this sort of surrounding and costly love is situated also among mountains. It's, it's a historical example situated among the mountains on a small plateau in an unoccupied zone south of uh, Lyon and France. You see in the 1930s and 40s there was a small community in Le Chambon of French Protestants who, if you know anything about the religious environment of France, a French Protestant is a, an oddity and they knew great persecution. They continued to struggle during this time with their stance against aligning and bending a knee to the Vichy government. And starting in 1940, Pastor Andre Trachma and his wife Magda began organizing efforts to take more than 5,000 Jewish refugees and enfolded them into their community in La Chambon. They were committed to the mystery that God surrounds us. 
in surprising encounters with the least, the last, the lost, the littlest, and the closest to death that is described by Jesus in Matthew 25. I, I think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer talks about this as the, the Christological incognito, uh, that Jesus shows up in the face of someone that we're not expecting, in our, in our midst, in a cell, at our door. This is a spirit-led vision oriented in the immediate now, and it's drawn from the proven past, and it pulls into the present God's future. So unlike Disney, with these past and futures that never existed and won't, it pulls God's faithfulness in the past and God's deliverance into the future, into this ever-present now. At times, um, Pastor uh, Andre's organizing and action meant memorizing and even forging documents. When the police would knock on his door, he would say, oh, I've never, I don't have that manifest. That never existed. And because he just never wrote it down or he just trashed it, right? So it was kind of like my kids do, like, I'm not lying. I never did that, right? And then when Pastor Andre got arrested, his wife Magda took the lead. And I'm inspired not just by their courage, but also their creativity and their vision for how God surrounds us. They were solid for their neighbors. Even across a lot of difference and in a time of danger, they knew this work was really risky and that it would only work, not just if they took in the Jewish people as like a part of a mission project, but it would only work if they would integrate them into their community, teach them with their kids, feed them as neighbors, become like kin to them in a certain way, knit them so tightly that they couldn't be ripped apart from them. An adult, um, former child refugee from uh, Le Chambon who lived, um, to recount this, says when she arrived, she says, nobody asked who was Jewish and who was not. Nobody asked if you were, uh, where you were from. Nobody asked who your father was or if you could pay. They just accepted each of us, taking us in with warmth, sheltering children, often without their parents, children who cried in the night from nightmares. Again, if you don't ask these questions, you don't have to tell the police, right? <laughs> but the this, this survivor remembers how, how brought in and knit into the community she was. And part of this beautiful and costly effort by this community happened with and through the work of, of um, Pastor Andre and Magda's younger cousin, Daniel. And you see, prior to 1940, Daniel was, was pretty uncertain. Uh, he was uncertain what he wanted to do vocationally, who he was, what he thought about God, what his purpose in life might be. He kind of admired, but he also like, kind of begrudged his, his cousin Andre because he was so laser-focused on the mission and knew what was going on. And so um, Maggie Paxson wrote an a award-winning book um, called The Plateau, um, and she's a non-religious person herself, and she talks about how inspired she was by Daniel, who became a teacher in this um, this refugee community. And she says, um, I see now that you can prepare and prepare, but the real work might be investing each moment you live in with meaning. 
She says, like Daniel, you never know when the sky will open or when uh, men with guns will descend or when a stranger will stand battered and afraid at your door and you will be put to the test. Daniel Trachme, uh, the much lesser known cousin, who was also a seeker, a teacher, he became a martyr when he was taken away with 18 of his students who he chose not to detach from and he died in a Nazi detention camp in 1944 at the age of 34. God surrounds us with just this kind of intimacy and care. It's often not in spectacular or elaborate ways. I'm sure it didn't feel very spectacular or elaborate at that time. But God prepares us to be a part of this network of intimacy and care by stretching us just barely beyond what we already know, what we've already been prepared for. Even in seasons when we're not sure what is happening or if anything is happening at all, God is giving us everything we need. Pastor Andre entreats, he says, look hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. Look hard for ways to make little moves against destructiveness. So friends, as we close this week, I just pray for these little moves of the Spirit for us. Yeah, amen. Little moves that are made possible by the surrounding love of God. God surrounds us. This is the source of our trust. Our faith doesn't bring about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness brings about our faith. I pray for these little moves that are inspired by God's decisive movement in Jesus. Jesus' birth, his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection for us. Little moves against the destructiveness of sin and death. Little moves together. Separately, each in our own little worlds and lives, but also connected and together as God continues to surround us with care and blessing. Will you all pray with me? God, we thank you for being around us, right in our midst, right in front of our faces. I think of the, the Hopkins line that God plays in 10,000 places. Um, you, you also care for us in 10,000 places. Um, Lord, make us into the sort of people that can recognize that sort of love and care and trustworthiness and participate in it for others. Make us solid for each other and for our neighbors. Link us um, to Jesus' faithfulness for the joy set before him would endure the cross. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.